It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's a bit gloomy out there. The forecast is a bit dull, it has to be said. But there's nothing dull about this show. There's nothing dull about the news because everything is happening and it's all happening right here on Talk TV. Liz Truss this morning accused by Robert Halfen uh, of trashing the past 10 years uh, of the Conservative government uh, because the party is now fully turning on her uh, after Prime Minister's questions yesterday, which was actually pretty dull, I would have to say. Meanwhile, uh, things in the NHS not going terribly well. Patients waiting for routine hospital treatment in England hits another record high. Marvellous. Uh, Seven million now, apparently, a number of people waiting to start routine hospital treatment. Uh, and that was at the end of August. It's probably about seven and a half million now. Uh, another 35,000 migrants have arrived on our shores. We're going to talk about that. Isabel Oakshot is here with us, Talk TV's international editor. Uh, transgender patients are starting to reveal their regret over NHS sex change operations. Uh, we've got so much to talk about this morning. I'm not even sure three hours is going to be enough. It's the return of Richard Taylor as well, our man in Welsh Wales. Uh, he's going to be telling us what's going on there. Apparently they're trying to decolonise uh, all university courses in Wales. Good luck with that. Also, of course, we'll be talking uh, about the incredible scenes over in the European Parliament uh, where Pfizer actually were telling people who were listening uh, that they hadn't really properly tested the vaccine uh, for COVID against it actually being transmitted from one person to another, uh, which has got a lot of people very excited, very riled up. Uh, we'll be finding out what that's all about as well. 0344 499 1000, of course. Plus, Marks and Spencer's closing a load of shops. Apparently, they've done so well online and they're doing really well in the food department, but they're now going to supposedly shut down something like a quarter of their big shops. What does that tell you about the way the economy's going? What does it tell you about the way Marks and Spencer's is going? We're going to take your calls on everything from that to this. 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. It's Talk TV, the only place to be. A very good morning to you and welcome to Thursday, uh, which means only one thing. The Thursday Club will be in full flow. We're going to actually take a look at Dubonnet today, because you might remember uh, during the course of all of the tributes that were paid to the Queen uh, shortly after her death, one of them was that everywhere she went, she would have a gin and Dubonnet on hand. So we're going to have a couple of those today uh, in homage to uh, Her Majesty, uh, as she was then. And also we'll be talking about the Crown, because it turns out that Camilla... um, the Queen Consort uh, may have to swap her crown because there's a bit of a row about whether she should get the Queen's crown or a different crown. So Rupert Bell will join us to talk to us about that. First of all, though, let's talk to Isabel Oakshot, Talk TV's international editor. Isabel, very good morning to you. 
Good morning. Nice to see you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. There's a lot to do today, really. I guess we should start with Liz Truss um, and her lack of support in the party. Robert Halford has really stuck the boot in, hasn't he? A piece of the Times this morning. Uh, former minister, chairs the Education Select Committee, is accusing her of ruining 10 years of Tory government. Well, I spoke to one senior Conservative after they had that meeting last night of the so-called 1922 committee where the Prime Minister came and you normally expect that to be a rallying of the troops moment, especially since she's only been in power for a few weeks. And, you know, in fairness, in Prime Minister's questions yesterday, she did quite well and uh, she seemed to be garnering support from her own party at that point. But it seems that that meeting yesterday was a complete disaster uh, and has very significantly weakened her position. And I find it really hard to get my head around the idea that we might genuinely be looking at the ousting of this prime minister Mm. within the next few weeks or months. Uh, I mean, this is just extraordinary and unprecedented. I still think it's odds against, probably put it at about... 30%, 30%, but that's pretty, pretty high. Yeah. Well, it really is. And they're still talking about it, which is the most worrying thing, because you and I have spoken about this before. There doesn't appear to be a mechanism by which they could do it, because surely they wouldn't want to do another leadership election, because that would just sort of paralyse everything again. But if that's not going to be possible, the only alternative is to sort of anoint somebody, isn't it? So they definitely wouldn't do another leadership election. I've spoken to several people about this and there is broad consensus that Mm. that is absolutely impossible. So they then have to agree on who might take over. Um, And naturally, I'm sure people won't be surprised to hear that the talk is of Rishi Sunak, which is a kind of like insane situation whereby the party's just rejected him And yet now they might be bringing him back as a kind of anointed caretaker leader. Uh, I I, I can understand why a significant number of MPs are calling for this, because these are the very MPs who've lost out on ministerial positions and power because their man lost the lost the leadership election. But how can how can the other side then rally around that? That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, how can they be so short sighted as well? Because, I mean, ordinary voters listening to this conversation will be aghast, I think, Isabel, that this has even been contemplated, that people who are supposedly politicians for a living, who are supposed to be in Parliament to represent us and the people that voted for them and even those who didn't vote for them. And they're so short sighted that all they can see is the end of their nose and who they want to have as their leader. Forget about prime minister, forget about the economy, you know. It's a bit, it's, it's both short-sighted and long-sighted because what's really going on here is a bunch of MPs realising that they are completely doomed at the next election unless there is a major change of direction. And even if there is a major change of direction, the politics of this may have been so damaging that it is not possible to get their reputation back. And bear in mind, they've spent, you know, David Cameron spent several years before he became prime minister in 2010 trying to reposition the Conservative Party as a touchy-feely, mm. nice, compassionate party. Remember all that green stuff yeah. and hug everybody and hug a husky and basically hugs for everybody. Um, and the feeling is that all that work, which went a good way, although never quite managed to detoxify some aspects of the way the party is seen, 
has now been undone uh, by a prime minister who, in my personal opinion, has the right idea, the right agenda. We've got to get growth going. I think conservatives should be about tax cutting. But the optics have been so badly managed mm. that the feeling is that she's now taken the party into an unelectable position. So you've got MPs not exactly being short termist about this, but being long termist, thinking we can't go on two years of this and then I get and then I lose my seat. Sure. But there hasn't really been much of an opportunity for her to get anything done, has there? Because, yes, you can blame her and her sort of apparatchiks and her advisors for not really laying out the land properly and telling people exactly what they were doing and why. But, you know, she's been sort of stymied at every turn ever since she got in. And as Julie Hartley Brewer said this morning, she did win the uh, leadership election on the grounds of cutting taxes. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I've, I've been sort of wondering the extent to which Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng are victims of circumstance. Mm. That's what they will seek to portray themselves as. And we've heard James cleverly out on the airwaves this morning trying to do the same, um, you know, blaming the strong global headwinds. And it is absolutely true um, that all the European economies are in trouble uh, and that we are far from the only ones with you know, really high rates of inflation, not even at the top of the league table mm. on that. Um, so, you know, those are the excuses um, and you know, I, I wonder whether it's now at the point where Truss and Kwarteng have to start pushing back quite robustly against the media. This is always a, a, mm. a high risk strategy. You, Trump did it all the time. Uh, and he would probably say it worked for him. But on the other hand, it got him in the end. Mm. But it has got to the point where, you know, nothing they say or do um, can is received with any measure of fairness, you know, and there are so many people now willing this pair to fail. And it's almost as if, you know, the media collectively has a sort of death wish, both mm. for the pair and for this country, because their agenda is a good one. It comes from a good place. Exactly right. And the other problem, I think, for me, uh, is that because of the way that they have U-turned on a couple of things, and there was another one yesterday uh, in Prime Minister's Questions, and you're right, I think she did OK. It's one of the things she does actually quite well, which which I wasn't expecting. Um, but it was quite dull compared to what we're used to. Um, but every time she promises not to U-turn on something, you just kind of go, well, you know, that's what you say today, because tomorrow you might do it. I was a bit worried that she said, you know, we won't be cutting spending because quite obviously they are going to cut spending. They're going to have to cut spending. And it's all about the way that's framed. But every time now someone's local library shuts or, you know, there's some obvious cut to some public service, all Labour has to do is repeat on clips again and again and again. We won't cut public spending. Mm. We won't. And next to all the long list of things that have been cut. So I think she, you know, she gets slightly panicky uh, and then blurts out these things. And actually, you know, in a sense, they need to come up. What are their three messages or two messages and just stick with them a bit like they did during the pandemic, you know, daily press conferences. They had their idea, their, their key lines, and then everybody sticks to that mantra. And I was saying at the beginning of this week that while the Bank of England was hurriedly telling everybody how they were calming the markets down to stop them from collapsing effectively, I said I felt that she should be out there front and centre explaining what was going on. And even if it is out of her control, looking like it's in her control. I mean, the danger of that is that anything that she says that she gets even slightly wrong 
may make matters a lot worse. So that is why, you know, in the immediate aftermath of that um, mini budget, whatever anyone wants to call mm. it, that's why she and Kwasi Kwarteng effectively disappeared. It wasn't because they were running scared as such. It's just that they knew that they couldn't really say anything without it going the wrong way. Mm. Um, so that is the, the the perilous position that they're in now. And I think a really interesting question is over the Bank of England and the extent to which this becomes the institution and the people at the top of it become the full guy. Um, and th there are there are mixed views mm. on what to do about the governor. You know, I think people in the city feel that if the governor were ousted, uh, then that would actually even further destabilize things. Um, but perhaps they need some more voices coming from the Bank of England, perhaps as deputy or other senior figures there that in some way uh, create a bit more of an impression of grip. Yes. I mean, certainly an awful lot of people have said to me that it feels as though the Bank of England is trying to bring the government down. He doesn't ever sound terribly supportive of it, really, does it? But stay where you are, uh, because, Isabel, we're going to come back to you. Isabel Oakshop with us. Uh, talk to you if he's international editor. We need to talk about the NHS. We need to talk um, about transgender patients as well. Uh, we also need to talk about uh, the Just Stop Oil and crazies who were out on the streets in mass numbers. I don't know if they're doing anything today. It's not very nice today. It's raining a bit, so maybe they won't be sitting down uh, on the wet ground. We shall see. Uh, this is Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Danger. Slippery people. Uncomplicated life rubric for hungry thought thinkers. It's Talk Radio. The home of common sense. Online on DAB+. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The number of people in England waiting to start routine hospital treatment has risen to a new record high of 7 million. That's up from 6.8 million a month before. So it's rising at the approximate rate of 200,000 a month. How is that possible? Let's talk to Isabel Oakeshott, Talk TV's international editor. I mean, the NHS seems to be getting worse rather than better. Oh, much worse. I mean, what did we did we protect the NHS for two years during the pandemic, or did we actually take a bunch of actions that accelerated its desperate demise? Mm. I would suggest that it was the second of those two things. The NHS is in an absolutely dire state, and I keep hearing people talking about it being on the brink of collapse. I wonder what collapse looks like. Mm. It isn't that people are having to put their uh, desperately ill and even in some cases perhaps dying relatives and loved ones into cars because there's no ambulance mm. to rush them to hospital themselves. And isn't it people waiting literally years in some cases uh, for operations during which time they only get worse and the chances of operations working only get slimmer. It is extraordinary and at the heart of it is actually not a money problem. Um, it is a, a backlog problem and people having got iller during the pandemic because things uh, that they needed to be treated weren't, which I think is utterly deplorable. Um, but secondly, it's a people problem. It is a workforce problem. We are in a global marketplace for healthcare workers. Uh, and quite simply, the job isn't attractive enough here. So we lose a lot to go and work elsewhere or frankly, just do something other than work in an NHS hospital. We already have a two-tier two system now in the UK because increasingly people are realising, even young people and even doctors themselves, that the NHS cannot be relied on to provide a decent quality of care when you need it, and therefore they're taking out private health mm. insurance. 
Well, I've got this from Dean in Cannock, just as we're speaking. He's texted it in to, uh, to us here at Talk TV. Following on from what you were saying about NHS waiting list, my brother has been waiting three years for an operation for a blockage in his leg. He's in constant pain, can't exercise properly, and when he tries to contact his consultant, he just gets an answering machine and they never call him back. I mean, the BMA just this week said that the uh, NHS is close to collapse. They say it every October. That's how you know it's October. You know, but surely some of the blame for this has to not just lie on government health departments and government secretaries of state for health, but also on the NHS itself and maybe even some of the doctors. Well, I mean, let's not forget the BMA are a trade union and a very self-interested one at that. They're a very good one. And what they achieve so skillfully is giving off the impression that they're there for the good of the patients. They're there for the good of the public. They're not, they're there for vested interests. And these they pursue extremely vigorously and effectively trying at all times to establish better working conditions and ever more money uh, for those that pay their membership fees. So I've got very little time for the BMA. I don't think that they're a good thing for, for the NHS. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, this isn't, as I say, it's not a question of the government not throwing enough money at the NHS. The levels of waste within the system are quite catastrophic. I don't want to be so negative and not acknowledge that sometimes the system works, but that isn't good enough for people, you know, that they're taking this lottery every time something's wrong with them. Maybe they're lucky and they get an appointment. I was able to get an appointment for my elderly and very frail mother last week Mm. of the day. But that was only after she rang me in despair, having been offered a telephone appointment at some indeterminate time in the morning in three weeks time. Now, she is elderly. She is not empowered. She didn't know how to fight that. Uh, And if you don't have an advocate uh, as somebody who is very unwell, or, or particularly for old people they don't know how to navigate the system, then you risk not being looked after properly at all. Yeah, absolutely right. And on the same subject of the NHS, um, you've been involved in a documentary which has been written about today um, in the mail about some transgender patients who uh, have been absolutely um, regretful over what they did to themselves, over what happened to them. Tell us about that. So this is a fascinating film. It's called No Turning Back. Uh, And it's sort of off the back of the controversy over the Tavistock Clinic. This Mm. is a clinic, NHS clinic in London, very controversially seemed to have rushed young people through into very drastic life-changing treatment. First of all, puberty blockers, and then uh, in many cases, surgery. And the documentary uh, has a powerful uh, selection of voices, very, very authoritative experts, many of whom worked at the Tavistock, talking out about the devastating social experiment that was performed uh, on many of these very vulnerable young people. Uh, And they will talk about, they talk in the film about how, you know, this was an experiment that is now being done on animals, but started off on children and the effects are absolutely horrific. And what is most powerful in that documentary to me uh, is the stories of Amber and Richie. Two people now, I think they're in their thirties, but they went through this as late teenagers and in their twenties. And both of them, it should be said, they were not treated at the Tavistock by the way, because the Tavistock was not the only place uh, that is necessarily making mistakes on this. Both Amber and Richie went through many years of treatment to change sex 
and came to bitterly regret it. And their stories are absolutely shocking. You know, we tend to gloss over because it's pretty gory, frankly, mm. what is involved in deciding that you want to go from being a man to a woman or a woman to man. Mm. This surgery is hideous. You know, it is brutal. Uh, and added to that, all the hormonal changes, you are basically condemned to lifelong medical problems. Yeah. And if you regret it, as the title of the film uh, says, it's a film by independent filmmaker Charlotte Fantelli, uh, you you can't just turn back. There is no turning back. So I really uh, would recommend people have a look at that uh, at that documentary. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And where is it on? When can we, we watch it? So this on a, a platform called Iconic. Um, needless to say, the BBC, the you know the usual, the Netflix, the Amazons don't want to touch this issue. Right. So Iconic's an alternative platform. And, you know, I pay tribute to it for being brave enough to platform this film. But it is made by an independent filmmaker, Charlotte Fantelli. Mm. Final word on the Just Stop Oil nutters uh, who have been causing all sorts of havoc all over the place. Um, The police are seemingly trying to deal with them slightly more roughly than they have been. But it's clearly now the case that somebody, somebody sometime soon is going to get hurt because the public is just fed up to the back teeth of them, aren't they? Oh, 100%. You know, I, I, I was aware yesterday that there were a bunch of these people outside uh, Westminster and I was slightly itching to go down there and pick a fight. Mm. I, don't, I don't mean a physical fight, but I saw this woman, you know, just ranting away a load of nonsense. And there were all these photographers around her, you know, capturing the moment, mm. but no one was actually challenging the utter tripe that she yeah. was talking Well, some of and that tripe I, she was talking to me, funnily enough, and I'm afraid I had to put her in her place. Well, good. In fact, I think I caught that and you were absolutely brilliant. Um, You know, I think I'm heartened when I see people dragging these protesters away. You know, no one wants vigilante behaviour, but we cannot tolerate this anymore. And you know what? If somebody was blocking my route and I was trying to take a baby to hospital, nothing would get in my way of getting those people off the road. No, I bet they wouldn't. And they wouldn't dare. Isabel, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Isabel Oakeshott, Talk TV's international editor there, uh, talking about a great many things, including, of course, the plot to oust Liz Truss, which is extraordinary, given she's only really been here five weeks, for heaven's sake. What is wrong with the Tory party? They seem intent on self-harming. Absolutely ludicrous behaviour. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk some more about the police because they're starting to try and use new methods for catching criminals before they actually commit the crime, which is not a bad idea. But I'd still rather they did the old-fashioned thing, which is to arrest people for committing crime instead of letting them go. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Within a matter of weeks, Liz Truss's honeymoon period is over. The Tories must get rid of this accident-prone Prime Minister or they'll be out of a job come the general election. She is not liked by the public. Watch this space. Well, unfortunately, whether you like Liz Truss or not isn't really the issue, is it? Surely you give the Prime Minister the chance to do the job that she said she was going to do rather than kibosh it at every turn. I mean, everything she tries to do gets either scuppered by the backbench Tory MPs or by the media or by the Labour Party. You know, who's running the country? That would be the question you might put to the country if you wanted to have a general election, but she won't have one now because she will lose. It's that simple. 0344 499 1,000 is the number. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be talking to Tim Peake. Uh, he's got a new book out, The Astronaut, Tim Peake, that is, The Cosmic Diary of Our Incredible Universe. 
is the name of the book. Um, so that should be fascinating. And uh, we'll be talking about proper science as opposed to some of the science that we sometimes talk about uh, when people say follow the science, when they don't really know what they're talking about. Uh, let's talk to David Spencer, head of crime and justice at the Policy Exchange, former detective chief inspector, because a couple of things have crossed the desk that we need to talk about, uh, not least the treatment of the Just Stop Oil Brigade, who were out in force again yesterday in Westminster, sitting down in the street, um, causing massive problems for traffic, causing massive problems for London and the police slightly more edgy I think yesterday did manage to make some arrests after a while but they're still really clogging up the streets and making a right nuisance of themselves. David a very good morning to you. Morning Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, I know we've got other things to talk about and new data uh, sort of style policing that they want to have a look at but can we just talk about Just Stop Oil first of all because there seems to be a bit of confusion as to what the police are entitled to do with these people in terms of how long they can let them sit there for before they arrest them, what sort of means they can use to arrest them. What's the actual rule of law on this? Well, I think that's something we need to get clarified really quickly. I went down to Parliament Square yesterday and I know the protesters there were there for three or four hours before right. uh, the police arrested them. And the, the thing that really concerns me most about this is that while officers are being deployed to deal with the protesters, and we heard yesterday from the Commissioner of the Met that about 200 officers are being deployed every day to deal with these protesters, that their officers, they're not, they're not extra officers. There's not a sudden, some box of extra <laughs> officers somewhere to deal with these protesters. Right. Um, actually, they're being taken away from other parts of London to deal with the robbers, the burglars and the drug dealers. And that's what really, really concerns me is that um, the police are being taken away from their normal duties to deal with this disruption that's being caused across mm. the capital. It's yeah. a real concern. It really is, because, I mean, one of the things that people say uh, that they don't ever see is is visible sort of policing. They don't see actual police on the streets, which would hopefully deter the kind of crime that is going on in the streets. I mean, I saw a report the other day uh, of a gang of youths on bicycles going up and down Park Lane, basically just robbing people at will and cycling off with either their phones or their watches or whatever. We've seen plenty of uh, uh, instances of, 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 of what happened in Liverpool Street the other day uh, where somebody, a few people were stabbed because, again, there was a street robbery going on. No sign of any police at all. No, you're right. And I think if you ask the public, and the reality is, you know, journalists like yourself and also... Uh, you know, the Met ask the public, what do you want from police officers? Mm. They, what they're not saying is, yeah, we want you to have to spend your time moving protesters out of the roads. What we want is stopping police officers out there on patrol, stopping the stabbings, mm. stopping the robbers, stopping the burglars. And that's what we need to be able to do. And the reality is that these protesters are uh, making London less safe mm. as a result of what they're doing. Yeah, and I think it really does have to stop. What needs to change, though? Does somebody need to issue an edict? Does uh, the new uh, Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Sir Mark Rowley, need to do something differently? What what has to happen? Well, it seems there's a bit of legal confusion around this this morning, and um, I think what we need is real clarity on that rapidly from uh, the Met, from City Hall, and potentially from the Home Office as well. Uh, obviously, the uh, the government legislated earlier this year to give the police extra powers to deal with protesters. Um, I think you're right. We are starting to see the police moving in uh, as quickly as they feel able to. But actually, what we need to get uh, from the relevant organisations, from City Hall, from the Met and the Home Office today, uh, is real clarity mm. over how quickly 
the police officers can move in because that seems to be an area of confusion at the moment. Yes, absolutely right. Well, we look forward to him being more assertive and the officers themselves being more assertive, of course, as well. Interesting one for you, David, here about uh, the exceptional policing conference that was held um, just the other day. So Mark Rowley there saying uh, that he wanted to start using sort of data collection uh, uh, to stop would-be offenders from committing crime, but specifically in the area of crime uh, and violence against women and girls. Um, what does he exactly mean by that? Well, this is something that uh, Policy Exchange covered in our reports over the summer um, on both the Met specifically and also uh, policing more generally about the uh, the steps that need to be taken. The reality is there's a huge amount of data out there um, which could be used to uh, understand where offenders are offending and how they're offending and also to look at actually what um, future offending could look like. Uh, if the police are able to join their data up essentially with other agencies' data mm. uh, and do the analysis, like big data analysis, then it has the potential to really, uh, really accelerate the way that the police are able to target these people that are preying, particularly on women and girls, yeah. as you say. But it is a massive piece of technology work and will require investment to be able to do it. And I mean, unfortunately, because of the way my mind works, I can see it going wrong in certain instances where you might be collecting data on somebody and then making a judgment on what they might be do about to do without knowing actually whether they would ever do something like that. You know what I mean? Because a lot of uh, people tell me whenever there's a domestic violence complaint uh, that is made to the police by a woman, quite often, if it's a woman who's frightened that something terrible will happen to her, they don't do anything because they say, well, we have to wait till the crime's committed before we can even go and talk to anyone. I think we've got to be really careful to make sure that the legal safeguards are in place so that the police are not overstepping the boundaries mm. around. So, you know, but there's been some sort of, uh, you know, talk about this being minority report and, and that yeah. sort of stuff. And yeah, obviously the protections have got to be in place. You know, the reality is, you know, you talk about um, the violence against women and girls. I think it's two women a week lose their lives in this country uh, as a result of current or former partners. Um, and the more that the police can do to, to prevent that, working with other agencies and using this sort of high-tech data, which the commission has been talking about, the better. Right. And would it be collecting, well, I don't know, phone records? Would it be collecting information that they had uh, got by other means? Would it be hacking into phones? I mean, well, how would it work? Well, I, I don't think we're going to be seeing uh, sort of hacking into phones. You know, there's a lot of um, lot of legislation which covers that sort of activity. Mm. I think what the commissioner is talking about, having um, read the stuff this morning and the speech that he gave, I think, yesterday, what the commissioner is talking about is there is already a huge amount of data out there that the police hold, that other agencies hold. And if it's possible to bring that together and analyse it in a really sophisticated way, then it's possible to to then take steps to protect people around that. I don't think this is about uh, going around hacking phones or, or that sort of stuff. I, mm. I'm pretty sure we're, we're some distance from that. Yeah, OK, interesting. I'm sure we'll talk some more about this when it starts to form itself into some kind of policy. David, thank you very much indeed. David Spencer, Head of Crime and Justice at the Policy Exchange, former Detective Chief Inspector, of course, as well. I mean, here's what Rowley had to say. Whilst I can't give you the full analysis today, I can tell you the success rate of this approach is proving to be impressive. Well... We'll see about that, shall we? But it's a fascinating development, if in fact it is something that is going to work. But I don't have high hopes for it, I'd have to say. This is Talk TV. We've got loads more going on, including some of your calls. We're going to talk about Marks and Spencer shutting down uh, a load of shops as well. What's going on with that? This is Talk TV.
Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Loads going on today. It is Thursday, of course, and the Thursday club returns uh, in the company of Helena Nicklin. Uh, she's going to be bringing in some what might be called sort of traditional uh, liqueurs. We're going to be toasting the Queen, uh, as she was, of course, uh, before uh, the King became the King. Uh, Dubonnet and gin, apparently, was her favourite tipple. Uh, everywhere she went, there had to be at least one glass of it uh, in each room that she was going to. She quite likes to take a little nip of it from time to time. So we'll be looking at that and some other traditional liqueurs that you could be drinking uh, as the weather starts to turn a little bit colder. Although it's still pretty balmy out there, to be honest. I don't know what it's like where you are, but it's certainly here in London. Uh, it is quite warm. There's a bit of blue sky emerging. As ever, once we start this show, the gloom begins to lift. People start to feel a bit better about themselves. People start to wonder uh, when they can go out and when they can enjoy themselves. I'll be over uh, in our TV studio later on today filming the latest Plank of the Week, the first new version of Plank of the Week, which is going out live on television uh, on Friday night at 7pm. You don't want to miss that. Uh, and we're going to talk to a man right now, Mr Richard Taylor, who I hope to be uh, getting into that studio at some point in the very near future. Uh, he's been away for a little while, but now he is back and we've got plenty to talk about. Richard, a very, very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. A good morning, Mike. It's great to be back on the home of Common Sense. I've missed you massively. The only memory <laughs> I've got of you in the four-week break I've had is my mug here, right? Talk yes. Yes, Which I don't I... know how you managed to, to squirrel that one away from the studios here, but so don't uh, let anybody see it. No, I haven't lost the old tricks, you see. That's the thing, Mike. Yeah, it's great to be back. And, you know, I've been following what's been going on, Mike. And I want to say the coverage, I know it's past now, the coverage that you and Talk TV gave over the Queen's passing was absolutely tremendous. The amount of emotion that you put into it as well, you know, really touched the nation. I, I, I watched it all, even though I was on a social media and a yes. media break. Uh, but, yeah, so much has been going on. You were talking about today, you know, the Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Organization in universities here in Wales. Yes. The government wanting to spend millions of pounds of taxpayers' money once again on something that's ridiculous, virtue signaling at its utmost, and it's absolutely absurd because there's been little consultation about it, Mike, if anything. Mm. And the truth is, they want to change names of places, statues. They literally want to tear up our history here in Wales so that universities in Wales teach, you know, that we, we, we're not a racist country, Mike. Wales is not certainly not a racist country. And the, the idea that they've got this anti-racist action plan, which right. is what the government have now published, is, is it, I, I read it, some of it today, this morning, actually, and some of it, it relates to George Floyd mm. after his murder. And the idea of white privilege is, is in there as well, something yes. we discussed on your show before. It's clearly just a waste of taxpayers' money, once again, by the Labour-led government here in Wales. I didn't realise Minneapolis was in Wales, funnily enough, but um, <laughs> I guess you learn something every day. You know, I mean, the point is, is that I don't even... I don't even know if I could tell you if I walked around Cardiff city centre what sort of statues they've even got. I mean, what statues are they annoyed about? Well, there are a number of ones, you know, those related to the slave trade, you know, across Cardiff in the city in particular and others outside the city. But 
you know, we, we've seen it not just here in Wales, Mike, we've seen it across the UK, this woke ideology that says, you know, we, we have to rewrite our history rather than educate people, children in particular and young people in our universities and schools mm. about our history and about the mistakes that we made in the past. They want to erase the past. And you don't educate people by erasing the past. You tell them, you educate them by teaching them what happened in the past. And I think it's important that people understand that. But the Welsh government, for some reason, they seem to have these crazy ideas, Mike. And I've been on your show many times before to discuss this. They come out with these idiotic concepts or things they need to change at the expense of the taxpayer, costing millions. And a lot of this funding is going to go to organisations, Mike, not just universities, that will start to teach this element within their curriculum. In other words, they want to decolonize, get rid of all the kind of talk about the past and name places and celebrating particular figures, for example, that were in our history because they're connected to the slave trade, all that. And it's just pure virtue signaling at its utmost. And I'm fed up to the back teeth of it, Mike. I'm not surprised. I mean, what next? Are they going to start removing Dylan Thomas from uh, the curriculum on the grounds that he liked to drink? (laughs) <laughs> no? I don't. Well, he might do because Mark Drakeford's teetotaler, so I don't. I, he might do. That's my understanding that he is anyway. So who knows with Mark Drakeford, the first minister of Wales, because his government have been responsible. You know, and what what really gets to me though, Mike, is the amount of millions of pounds they're going to spend on this, given to organisations and universities, when that money could be better spent right now to help families that are struggling, not just with the cost of living, but also we have the highest levels of child poverty here in Wales. Over two hundred thousand mm. children, from Oxfam report, are living in some form of poverty or under the poverty line why don't they put the money to those places and communities across wales where deprivation is 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 terrible but no they want to do this and spend millions of pounds of taxpayers money on decolonizing welsh universities getting rid of all the kind of language that refers to it and being more diverse to give minority groups more uh, of a helping hand if you like but you know, we, we, the idea that the anti-racist action plan, even that word itself, implies that we're racist to start. The basis of that is that we're racist. We are not a racist country. You know, there's, there's been loads of research and studies done on this, Mike, as you know, and we're not a racist country. No, of course not. And also, it affects a very small number of people. I mean, there's not 100% of people in Wales going to university. You know, there's a bunch of, uh, you know, layabouts uh, who are otherwise known as university lecturers who spend half their life on strike and the other half working from home. Um, And a bunch of kids who think they're going to go to university and learn, you know, how to be more woke. You know, how is that affecting the economy? How is that affecting the people of Wales? It's not. Well, what what it will do, it'll produce a generation, Mike, as we've seen of these eco-warriors you've covered this morning in your show, Mm. of young people whose ideologies of life is completely warped, in my opinion, that they're entitled to have their opinions and their voice to be heard, like mine as well. But I'm afraid that there's a generation being uh, being birthed now of of wokeness that is just frightening because where does this end, you know? And I think it's up to my, I'm a parent of five children and it's up to dads and mums and, you know, parents to educate their children on some of these issues, not leaving it to schools or education and universities because they're life lessons as well. Yes, we must root out all racism. We're against racism. Wherever it exists, it needs to be, you know, we need to dismantle it and get rid of it. Yeah, but you don't have to keep telling people you're against it. It's a bit like saying I'm against throwing myself off a cliff. Well, of course you're against it. You know, you wouldn't be pro it, would you? No, but this is constant feed, constantly all the time, Mike. You know, in Welsh media, we get it all the time. I've been watching some of the debates since they've come back and recess at the Welsh Parliament, the Senate, and it's clear to me that they've lost the plot. And mm. Keir Starmer has been down there visiting this week as well, talking about Labour's plans and everything else on the NHS and other aspects where they have miserably failed the people of Wales. You look at the waiting list here in Wales, I know mm. there's 7 million now, probably more than that, but you mentioned this morning on the show, a second list of people, it was the second operation. Yeah. 
No, it's just huge, colossal. But we have huge issues in front of us in Wales, but yet we want to spend our time talking about nonsense that's not going to really educate people and it's actually going to destroy people's education, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely right. And also, what's been interesting recently, to me at least, has been this kind of talk of Welsh independence because, of course, Nicola Sturgeon uh, is trying to push for a second referendum, um, but it seems to have quite a lot of sort of, um, shall we say, resonance with some people in Wales who seem to think that they could survive as an independent nation. I don't know where they get that idea from. Well, there's a th- to begin with, if Wales was to become independent and stand on its own two feet, I would be the biggest advocate for it because I'm a patriotic Welshman. Yeah. I believe in the union. I believe in all the goodness that it brings. And I think the idea of Welsh independence would drag Wales into an economic disaster. There is a £13 billion deficit that we'd have to make up through taxes, through taxation, which the Welsh government surely would not be able to draw from the economy here mm. in Wales because it's not doing very well, not as, good, not as good as England, certainly. And I think the idea that we can be an independent country, come out of the union, is a pipe dream that will never be realised. And I think Nicola Sturgeon is adding fuel to that Welsh fire down here on those who would want Welsh independence because, of course, they see that as a template of what she's attempting to do by going to the courts now, trying to get this referendum so they can be independent. The same we've seen with Adam Price, the mm. leader of Pride Cymru here in Wales. And it's not some, it's not palatable to the people of Wales, Mike. Poll after poll has shown that the people of Wales do not want independence because it'll be fiscal suicide, it would be wrong for the people of Wales, and you know, we're stronger together in the union. I don't think there's any doubt about that, because even if the, um, the people in Scotland could make a case for independence, which I'm not sure they can in terms of the amounts of money involved and the numbers of uh, British civil servants who currently work there who wouldn't be working there after independence, I mean, the Welsh are in an even worse financial situation, I would have thought. Well, they are. And if you look at the Welsh economy, you know, we're talking about it now. You look at the idea they want to charge a, a tourism tax here in Wales, for example. They want to introduce all these things that really, uh, really put businesses off from investing in Wales. We had, I've mentioned on the show many times before, Mike, the M4 relief road as you come to the Bryn mm. Glass Daniels, they're called. It's a bottleneck and lots of businesses don't want to invest in Wales. Some of the tech companies do, but certainly when it comes to transport and things, because our road system is so outdated, it's unbelievable. It's like going back to the 50s. It really is. And they're building some of these some of these roads they're building now. They're reducing the speed limits, as you know, from 30 to 20 mm. in all kind of residential areas. They're doing it in some of our motorways, reducing it to 50 very, on an average speed limit. And they're slowing the economy down. They're not pumping into the economy. If anything, they're slowing it down. And, and you look at the amount of people unemployed during Wales as well. It's, it's some of the records that we've got. We're smashing all the wrong records, Mike. That's what this <laughs> government is doing. Yeah, well, absolutely right. I mean, they're not doing too great in Downing Street, it has to be said. Um, we're going to play a video um, just after the break. Um, which has been doing the rounds big on social media in the last couple of days. And it's showing an MEP, a Dutch MEP by the name of Rob Roos, uh, who puts a question uh, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, a select committee, effectively, in the European Parliament to a director of Pfizer about the um, effectiveness of the, of, the Pfizer, of the Pfizer vaccine on COVID. And the question is all about whether it actually had tested uh, and was robustly tested for whether it would actually stop transmission of the disease. And it's quite a remarkable situation when the person who answers the question actually admits that it wasn't tested. I mean, it's an incredible piece of uh, of information, this, isn't it? It is, Mike. I, I watched it myself today, actually, and I... I... It's no surprise to me because many of us were saying at the time, you know, that that the vaccine does not stop transmission. Yeah, you know, we were outspoken at the start, and people who spoke out about that, whether we were, you know, had the vaccine or didn't have the vaccine mm. by, by choice, 
you know, we were saying that it doesn't stop the transmission. So the idea of introducing vaccine passports was the most stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yes. Bonkerless, as I say. Here yes, here. it really was. <laughs> and it also affected, I mean, we're still getting reverberations from the NHS. I mean, it can't be any accident that some uh, people say the NHS is understaffed to a large extent because people are leaving. But a lot of people left because they were being told they would have to accept getting a vaccine they didn't want in order to keep their jobs. And the same problem still persists in the care home sector where loads of people left care homes because they were worried that they weren't going to get the jab and they wouldn't have a job. Yeah, and I, I was part of, you know, of the petition of the Together Declaration, which had over 350,000 signatures at the time, uh, calling on the government not to, you know, mandate vaccines for health workers or for anybody for that matter, because yeah. body autonomy is very important in a free society. And I think what we've seen happening now is we've seen huge backpedaling now from government officials, from, you know, NHS workers, from people who really push the vaccine mm. and even mainstream media own apology to the public because they were telling people this kind of idea that, you know, if you have the vaccine, then it'll stop you giving it to your mm. grand or your, your uncle, your cousin. It was wrong. Mm. And, you know, Pfizer CEO has come out and said this, you know, this report has been done and this Dutch MEP, I watched him intently this morning. He, he paints, it, paints it wonderfully in what he says. And he asks the, uh, the I think uh, she was a Welsh woman, I think, yeah. as well. she, uh, in that inquiry, why, you know, uh, was it tested before it went to market? Well, it wasn't. Yeah. But we were being told before it was tested, if it ever was tested before it went to market, that it would stop transmission. We had celebrities saying it. We had presenters saying it. We had radio hosts saying it. We had all kinds of people pushing this message mm. and morally and it was wrong. Immorally wrong. It's absolutely incredible what yeah. they've been allowed to get away yeah. with. And they, they owe the public an apology. And, I, and listen, I'll just say this now once. I'll say it once. I never did that because I didn't think that was the way to go uh, because I trust the people that listen and watch this show uh, to make up their own minds about everything. Richard, stay where you are. We're going to play that video for you coming next right here on Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Richard Taylor, political commentator down in Welsh Wales. We were tell telling you about this video uh, which we uh, have in our possession and it's during a parliamentary hearing in the European Parliament. MEP Rob Roos asked the director of Pfizer uh, whether the Pfizer vaccine was tested on stopping transmission of the virus before it entered the market. Let's have a look. Mevrouw Small, heb ik de volgende vraag waar ik een duidelijk antwoord op wil. And I will speak in English so there are no misunderstandings. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer. Yes or no? And I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. And where's the answer? How can we just have a question with no answer? Right, we'll try and get the answer for you. Uh, anyway, the answer basically was that no, it wasn't. And there's a very odd part where there, there's, there's a question of uh, following the science, is there not, Richard? Yeah, it was. The, they say they were following the science, but I'd like to know what science they were following because clearly... You know, in that statement that Rob Roos asked the question in, in, in that committee room, the, the answer came back simply, no, it wasn't tested for whether it was, you know, going to stop transmission. And, you know, we were coerced, the country was coerced, millions and millions of people took a vaccine based on the idea that they didn't want to transmit it to their loved ones, friends or relatives. And I think it is incumbent upon those who made those statements to, to at least, at least apologise not just the mainstream media that were pushing that message out, but also all those who were involved in, in, in selling the product because clearly it did not stop the transmission. I mean, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm unvaccinated, Mike. You know, I, I chose not to have it. It's my choice. But those who did, that's their choice also. And I respect that. But I didn't believe for once that it would stop the transmission. It's the same with anything else. Well, and plenty of people have. I mean, Joe Biden's always the... Uh, Joe Biden's really the example, isn't he, that you point to? Because he's had about 58 vaccines and he's worn about 25 <laughs> masks at the same time. And he's had COVID about three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's definitely not a pinnup for Pfizer. That's for sure, is he? Because it doesn't clearly hasn't worked. I mean, it happened with my friends. You know, many people that had the vaccine, friends of mine, for example, they were catching COVID on a regular basis. I was out with them in some of the pubs, you know, watching the football and rugby. Yeah. Yeah. And I recorded it and I was unvaccinated. And I kept saying it, it doesn't stop the transmission, you know. It, mm. It's just it's just nuts. The whole thing was clearly crazy. And I think I don't think people have forgotten it. There are a number of organizations, for example, here in Wales looking calling for a COVID inquiry, an independent Welsh inquiry mm. into the handling of what happened here in Wales. Matt Drakeford has, you know, blown that over the water and said, no, it's not gonna happen because of course the Welsh government hate uh, accountability as mm. one thing void like a plague so i think you know there, there are major questions yet to be answered and there's going to be a huge amount of backpedaling now yes. from many people who are pushing this right at the start mike isn't it and the important part about the inquiry and as, as there is one underway here uh, is that it must never happen again right the fact is that we were told certain things by scientists we were told follow the science and effectively what this pfizer director says uh, is that well we were doing it in such a hurry um that you know we just had to you know be led by the science and they actually were more or less admitted they didn't know what was going to happen uh, and that's why we must say to them very clearly as a nation and as a population well we're not going to fall for that one again thanks very much indeed because there's already talk of more boosters being rolled out and get your booster make sure you don't get flu make sure you don't get covid there's going to be more covid coming you know we don't want any of this no I, I think for me it wasn't a case of following the science it was following the money as well there was a huge amount of money that these companies profited from like, and we're talking billions and shareholders in some of those companies i mean pfizer and some of the, the the other vaccines that were out there there's members of the welsh parliament here that have shares in some of those companies that were pushing the vaccine as well you know and it, and, and that's well documented because of course they have to publish all of their connections to that kind of stuff i, I just think if it, it first of all it should never ever happen again shouldn't happen happened in the first place yeah. and many of us were against lockdowns. Look at the harm it's done to our children. Children, by and large, were affected hugely, far more than any other group in society. Mm of lockdowns and the COVID measures the government implemented and yet we still haven't had a public apology from any government minister and we the country deserves it people, and there are people Mike don't forget who've been vaccine injured people yeah. start to talk about it now because they feel they, they can, they're safe to talk about mm. it because there was a time Mike where we couldn't talk about that yeah. and there, were, there were you know there were people who would come down on you like cabinet ministers uh, like uh, you know regulators who would say oh you can't talk about that well why not why can't you talk about it well, you've got to have an open discussion, haven't you? Because clearly things were changing. They mentioned following the science. Well, science doesn't stay stagnant. And my understanding of science is limited as it is. It changes. Things mm. change. And I think a virus changes. I think there was an overreaction to all of it right from the start. No question. And, and we all felt that, Mike. And you and Talk TV and the team there were all, always on about it, talking about it. We've had this open discussion. You must discuss these issues because mm. they're important. And Absolutely. the public deserve to hear it as well. Well, because the other piece of news today that we learned is that the COVID aid that was handed out, um, around about five billion of it, was handed out in quotes in error. I don't know what that means exactly. What is error? I mean, it's quite a big error that. 
Well, I, I think, yeah, the government were throwing cash everywhere, weren't they? They were literally, like, finding money from wherever they could find it and just throwing it at, at people. You know, people getting grants, businesses were getting them, individuals were getting them, COVID payments. There was so much. And, of course, there are people out there, scrupulous people who know how to work the system, might as well. Mm. And I think they would have been tapping into that, finding out what uh, money was available to them at the time. And, you know, we've seen it not just with fraud, with PPE and stuff like that. Not just fraud, I shouldn't say fraud. I mean, handing, you know, backhanders to your mates and all that kind contracts but we've seen it this government really they hold a massive amount of responsibility and they hold, they owe the public an apology because of what they did to us because it was absolutely unforgivable and there are people like me who will never forget what they did when they taped yeah. up all these urine wheels said you can't buy that because it's non-essential yeah, i know when they absolutely you couldn't go for a picnic i mean what was wrong with people the people who complied to that was bad as the people who made yeah. the rules well, what about yeah. the cops who were moving people on from local parks here in london because they were sitting down having a picnic on the ground uh, with more than one other person you can kind of What's wrong with you? Um, I mean, incredible numbers as well. Looking at this, the National Audit Office have said £96.9 billion, that's billion pounds, given to firms through furlough. I mean, that's an incredibly huge amount of money, considering that this government is facing extinction. People are talking about how awful it all is because they want to get get a few billion uh, out of the tax bracket for a few people uh, who either make more money than they should or for corporations who want to stay at 19% instead of going up to 25%. I mean, the amounts of money we're talking about during furlough are eye-watering, but everybody's fine with that. It's just now, now they want to give you a tax break. Oh, no, you can't have that. Well, we, again, Mike, you know, reading the political tea leaves, a lot of us saw this coming, didn't we? Because we said, look, lockdown, someone's going to have to pay for all this. Furlough is not free. Yeah. Not free money. There's no such thing as free money. It's tax. It's our money. Mm. And there was going to come a time where the tax burden would be upon those of us who were working and paying our taxes. Yeah. Because it has to be paid for. You cannot shut an economy down for 18 months to two years without having outcomes like this. And we're seeing it happening now, and now we're having to pay for it. And, of course, many of the backbenchers, you know, conservative backbenchers are bailing by the looks of it, they're paying for, for Liz Truss's his blood already, by the looks of it. I, I, I mean, they're imploding at the moment. But, you know, the, we are paying for it. Not just our children's education that was damaged. The lockdowns had huge consequences on our economy, Mike. And we're seeing it now, and now we're all having to foot the bill for it. Yeah, and it's absolutely unbelievable that we are now being told, well, we can't have any tax cuts. Well, why? Well, because you had to pay for the furlough that we didn't ask if you wanted to pay for. So, you know, they took the money, uh, spent the money, and now apparently we owe them the money, even though they didn't actually borrow it from us in the first place. Yeah, and the way Rishi Sunak, I remember when he stood up in the dispatch box and he pitched this to in Parliament and said, look, this is what we're going to do. Like, it's, it's the best idea ever. No other country in the world is doing this. You know, we're paying people's wages. It's never been done before. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a new thing. It's never been done by anybody yeah, else. thank God. Yeah, <laughs> but, but now we're paying for it. And there are models of other countries that didn't lock down as severe as we did who don't have the same economical impacts that we're facing right now. And you know, we talk about the cost of living. This is a cost of lockdown. Yeah. We are still paying for the yeah. lockdown. It's like, it's like somebody robbing a bank, right? And the bank comes knocking on your door and says, you owe us all this money that's been nicked from us by the robbers. You know, that's what's effectively going on. It's unbelievable. Anyway, listen, we're out of time. Richard, good to talk to you. Good to see you looking fine, fine fettle. Uh, he is, of course, Richard Taylor, our man in Welsh Wales. Uh, we've got more coming up. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. The independent republic of Mike Graham on talk radio. Let us talk to Jeremy Kyle because Jeremy Kyle's show is on. Jeremy Kyle live, 7 o'clock tonight. Jeremy, a very good afternoon to you. Uh, honestly, look at me. I am I am perched in my <laughs> in-law's bedroom. Why? Right, 
and I've had I've had Aaron going. You know, honestly, he says to me, he says that's that's not a good angle. So what's wrong with your voice? He says, I'm not feeling. He's claiming well. to be ill. Yeah, well, it's because you get ill if you behave in the way that he behaves. Exactly right. He can't burn the candle at both ends. That's what I say. And there's something in there about the wick, but I'm not going there. Yes. Now, I don't wish to to encroach on, uh, you know, difficult areas, but we were doing a story today about this Alexa. Uh, A woman caught her boyfriend out um, because he apparently had another woman around to their house and she was ordering music on the Alexa. I mean, you've got to be pretty stupid to do that, haven't you? I, I couldn't, technically, I can't work anything like that, so I would never have Alexa. But a lot of people do say, Mikey, don't they? That actually is dangerous, you know, because this thing has all this information. I mean, they don't like condoning uh, anything like that. That's so why I'm not getting involved. I'll tell you what I will say, because I'll bring it back to the reality. Every time Liz trusts us, there won't be a U-turn. About 30 minutes later, they, they sort of release another statement. Yeah. It's a joke. I watched, I had Tobias Elwood on JK Live last night, and I watched him on your show yesterday, and he was, and he was fixed. His eyes were fixed on Liz Trust. It was the most glaringly mm. obvious. There's no happiness there amongst the tourists. I wouldn't be surprised. Everybody laughs at me. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not gone by Christmas. I think the ones that are saying stick to your guns, like Ian Duncan Smith, yeah. want to basically make her own bed. But who's going to... They're talking about... A, I read something last night. They said there could be a, a caretaker prime minister. Theresa May could make I mean, come. I mean, these people don't seem to know what on earth they are put on this earth to do. No. They've been elected to represent us. They're supposed to be sorting out the economy, sorting out the various problems that we've got, like the migrants and all the rest of it. And instead, all they can do is knife each other in the back continually until there's none of them left. I think you and I should run it. I agree. I think that would be a lot better. Um, Aaron is now making a lot of noise behind the scenes. They're telling me that you're not sitting upright and you should be sitting up more. Uh, in order. There you go. That's better. He likes that. That's much better. Now, the thing about tonight's show... Honestly, who does he think he is to take the day off willy-nilly? Yeah, well, he was so impressive uh, on the the, uh, box this time because he came in the other day to tell us um, how many great ideas he'd had in the pub um, and he was so pleased with himself that he had to take the next day off to recover. Yeah. But at least he didn't swear this time. Would have the bird's nest cut off from the front of his hair that hangs over his eyes. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, listen, you're on tonight. You're you've got a busy old TV day. I have. Yeah. Listen, I'm I'm travelling with a lot of clothes, of shirts, ties, you know, different combinations because I'm coming straight from here to Ealing to do Plank of the Week, which you're going to be on soon. Uh, and also, and also, uh, then I'm I'm going to be sitting around for a couple of hours, uh, but I've got plenty to do, and then I'm going to be on your show. Yeah, we're on tonight, JK Live. We're going to start, and and I think we have to start with this. We have to talk about the NHS. Doctors and nurses leaving in droves. You can't get, they're short of blood. You can't get an appointment. Seven million people on a waiting list. What happens? Oh, yeah. my, my in-laws, I'm actually at their house because uh, it's a free lunch. And and they, they've, you know, they've worked all their lives. They've paid money and they've, they've paid their stamp. They can't get a hospital. My, yeah. my mother-in-law was waiting for an operation 12 hours before. No, we're not doing it. I mean, it's disgusting. Unbelievable, yeah. It's going up by 200,000 a month right now. So, I mean, that's it's another, that's, absolute, that's another million by February. The number one story. And it's like a dentist. You can't get a dentist involved. And I've got a theory, though, of course, which upsets people. You know, we train dentists. Mm. 10 years. We pay that. You know, we pay it, the NHS. Then they disappear off and go private. What's going to happen to the NHS? It is not about pouring yet more money down that black hole. It's about getting it by the scruff of the neck and saying, yeah. right, this is the greatest invention in the modern world. But sadly, like the welfare state, it's helping the people it shouldn't help. It's being mm. paid for the people who are get, who should be guaranteed help and aren't getting anything. It's disgusting and wrong. So we'll talk about that. Um, we've got loads going on. I go on about uh, the cost of living every day. You go on about it. Mm. The reality, you know, Bob in our bros, not those London-centric liberals, yes. right, in his, the 
Mansfield Council are running their first ever cost of living roadshow. These are going to pop up all over the country. This is a fact. It's a really good initiative today in Mansfield to help people. We're going to be there. We're going to do that live. We've got the showdown with a certain Michael Graham and mm. Ava Santina, which we're honestly, Excellent. that's amazing. Yeah. Hopefully she won't wear the fishnets again because she thought she was behind a desk. But well, now she's go. been Maybe prepared. I mean, also, we have to make sure we're in the right seats as well, don't we? Because you've, you've got that colour thing going on. Yeah, because O'Sullivan managed to sit in front of the road wall. Yeah, well done, Kev. Yeah, brilliant. It's all going I must really say, well. actually, watching Tobias Elwood last night, as he was sitting there, he's got this kind of slight smirk that dances across his lips. And I thought um, he was going to say, uh, actually, I'd like to be the next James Bond. I think he could do it. Well, he, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, Tobias Elwood, James Bond. More like Brooke Bond, I think, to be honest. Or <laughs> Basildon Bond, even. But also... Uh, a real, really brilliant, exclusive interview. Kerry Katona, lover or loser, this woman's had more ups and downs than, honestly, unbelievable. We are doing an exclusive live interview with Kerry Katona, uh, who has apparently, there's so much, do you know that she gets like a, do you know about this OnlyFans? Yeah, I know, I was going to ask you about that. She's on, she does that, doesn't she? What is OnlyFans? Well, it depends on which bit of it you look at, but it can be anything from looking at people's feet admiringly and paying them or looking at other parts of them um, for which they uh, uh, we can't really talk about. Well, at I this can time. tell you this, and Kieran might be angry, but we're going to, and it's got nothing to do with pictures or anything, but we're talking about opinions. We're going to launch for the older generation in a couple of weeks on Jeremy Carr Live, only Nans. <laughs> Seriously, that, we're going to get the older generation. That, that's not the Indian bread you're talking about, is it? No, no, no. God, he's off now. Uh, Michael, thank you so much. Not at so, all. Just, just for everybody, tonight, 7 o'clock, Mike Graham, Ava Santina, the NHS, and an exclusive with Kerry Katona. I mean, look look at this. I've woken up this morning with a spot, right? Oh, God. Blimey. What am I going to do? Bet some Clearasil on that. You'll be all right. Some what? Come Clearasil. <laughs> Go for it. All right, I'll do uh, that. Good I'll to see you. He so looks much. younger every day, you know, Derek, Jeremy Carl. I don't know what he's doing. But 7 o'clock tonight, Jeremy Carl live. Right now, though, live. Uh, right here on Talk TV, uh, we're going to be doing something out of this world. Something incredible. Something from space, in fact. Because Tim Peake, the astronaut, right, has written a new book. It's called The Cosmic Diary of Our Incredible Universe. Brackets aged 13.8 billion years old. It's rather clever, that. And Tim Peake is going to be speaking to us, coming up right here on Talk TV, uh, as soon as we can get him. Um, but he's not here yet, apparently. Uh, he's a bit delayed by the stratosphere uh, for some reason. But uh, but yeah, Tim Peake, he was, of course, on the International Space Station. Uh, his new book is out uh, in hardback on the 13th of October. Um, and he says this. Are you bursting to know the answers to the really big questions like how are stars made? What will we find in a black hole? And which fruit can create antimatter? And what even is antimatter? These are all good questions. Uh, and we'll try and get the answers to them for you. And we'll try and get the answers to them for you after this. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk TV, and it is, of course, Thursday. And, of course, that means that we will be doing the Thursday Club very, very shortly. Helena Nicklin is already here, in position. However, just before that, I've got this. It's a new book by Tim Peake. You know, the guy that went up into space, that Tim Peake. Uh, and he's going to be talking to us right now. Tim, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Hello, Mike. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on the station here because you've got such an exciting life and you've got so many great things to talk about. You've done this great book, which has kind of been written as a children's book, but I'm sure there'll be loads in here that most adults don't know anything about. I mean, even just looking at some of the original questions, how are stars made? What will we find in a black hole? 
Which fruit can create antimatter? I rather like that. Which fruit can create antimatter? <laughs> well, bananas, when they decompose, create a tiny, tiny amount of antimatter, but it's not going to explode in your hand. Well, thank worry. goodness for that. Um, and what is antimatter anyway? Well, matter and antimatter were kind of created at the very beginning of the universe, and they, it, they nearly wiped each other out uh, perfectly, in which case there would be nothing left. There would be no universe, but a tiny fraction of matter survived. So, so antimatter is kind of the opposite of matter. Is there anything in this book about the Webb telescope? And if there isn't, I mean, maybe you wrote it too long before anything sort of came back from that. What do you make of all that? Yeah, so I wrote it before we had any pictures coming back, but I mentioned the Webb telescope because it's fascinating. I mean, things like the Webb telescope tell us so much about the universe. We can look further back and learn more, and we can search for signs of life, habitable planets out there yes. um, in the universe. Can you let me know if you find any signs of life anywhere on a habitable planet? Because I'm beginning to think this one's had its chips and it may be worth escaping from. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, it is extraordinary uh, what you've done. Uh, what plans have you got for, for, for any more missions to space? Because a lot of people are going up into space, but it seems to have become a bit of a rich man's and woman's plaything for the moment. Well, yeah, that gets a lot of visibility. Perhaps what's not so visible is the Artemis program, which is what the space agencies are doing. And that's really exciting because we're on the cusp of a new era. We're going back to the moon. Artemis 1 should launch very soon. And we're going to see a crew of four go round the moon's orbit next year ahead of boots back on the moon in 2025. So this is what we're working on as a space agency yeah. right now. And when the boots do get back on the moon, um, what will they be looking for? Because, I mean, time has changed so much, hasn't it? I mean, people tell me sort of anecdotally that the computers that NASA used to send the Apollo missions up to the moon back in the 60s uh, are not even as good now as the one I've got in my phone. That's that's right. And um, what we're going to be doing is going to a different location on the surface of the moon. We're going to be looking at a polar region. So where we know there to be water ice, that's absolutely fascinating. Obviously, where there's water, you can use that for an awful lot of things, including making rocket fuel, but to survive. Uh, and, and that's also a really important area for scientific research. So mm. we're going to be setting up a permanent habitation module and we're going to see astronauts going to spend six months living on the surface of the moon. Wow. And do you fancy going up again? Are you going to uh, be taking any more trips up there? I'd love a trip to the moon. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know any astronaut who doesn't want to go back to space again. Yeah. And when you're an astronaut, um, but you can't be in space, what do you do? I mean, how do you spend your time? Do you do you miss it? Well, we're ambassadors for space. So a large part of the job is, is doing the outreach and the education that goes along with it. We're also helping to support our other team members who are in space. So at the moment, Samantha Cristoforetti is commanding the space station and comes down very soon. Um, so at the European Space Agency, we've got a new selection process this year. We're going to have about four to six brand new astronauts join the Corps in just a couple of months' time. So really exciting. Wow. And did you find anything out when you were writing this book that you didn't know before? And, and what was the most fascinating thing that you, that you did find out, if that was true? I found loads. I love researching for it. I mean, neutron stars, I think, are some of the most amazing things that happen in, in our universe, because we know that loads of the elements that make up our own human body are forged in neutron star collisions. And I just love the fact that we can connect back to where we really came from, back to our roots and think about that. Brilliant. Well, the book's called The Cosmic Diary of Our Incredible Universe. Tim Peake, uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us and good luck with your future projects as they are. Uh, but you can get this book uh, 13th of October. It's out uh, 12.99 in hardback. Tim Peake, what a great man. Uh, the man from space. We get everyone on this show, uh, including astronauts.